Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Equipment can run another $300, but where it really costs are the weekend-long tournaments that result in six to eight meals being eaten out, hotel rooms, and the gas to get back and forth. These events can easily hit your family pocketbook to the tune of $1,000 a weekend. This can have a serious impact on your college and retirement savings ability. The unaccounted expenses always catch us off guard. Make sure you budget for these events to stay on track financially. This is Jason Roberts with the Wealth Investors Minute. Jaguar Radio Program. Thanks for tuning in to the big broadcast from the KJAG Radio Studios in Edges of Kansas. We are live as live can get, Monday through Friday, 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 PM Mountain Standard, and 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com on the TuneIn apps and radio loyalty. Our premium podcast is available for $5 a month, commercial free, JiggyJaguar.info. Selected editions will be available on the iHeartRadio app and 50-plus AM FM stations in the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network. Our telephone number is 267-22-G-I-G-G-Y. And the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast is brought to you by our fabulous friends at the Time Over Employment Agency. That's right. Let's tell you about these folks. These guys are doing some incredible business and an incredible Indiegogo campaign. We've told you about these folks before, but we want to tell you more about them. The Time Over Employment Agency, which is located in Dallas, Texas, is a company whose mission is to grow and expand to be able to provide more job opportunities to as many individuals as possible. The managing member of the company has recently started a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo to get the company on to new heights. The goal of the campaign is to raise $100,000 in 60 days. Once successful, the amount raised from the campaign will be used primarily for equipment, office space, acquiring additional clients, training for current and future staff, and marketing. Time Over is currently partnering up with companies to help provide work at home. And uh, these folks are doing some incredible jobs, as well as other employment opportunities for individuals. The economic development in the U.S. overall has influenced companies to seek support from the employment agencies that provide support from agents with home office, rather than utilizing traditional call centers, which has proven to be more cost-effective. According to the Bureau of Labor Stats, as of October 2015, the unemployment rate in the U.S. is at nearly... 2.5% 
10 million people. Among the major worker groups, the unemployment rates for adult men, 4.7%, adult women, 4.6%, and teenagers, 16.3%. They've showed little or no change in September. Please help us on the campaign to create more jobs in the U.S. Thank you very much for the support, and check out Indiegogo.com, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com, the Time Over Employment Agency, located in Dallas, Texas. Please remember to check out Time Over Enterprises on Indiegogo at www.igg.me slash 80 slash USA, And please support the campaign to create more jobs. Check it out today. We've got Donald Bazella and, of course, uh, substituting for IQL Rizzoli today, our good friend, Dr. Jack Caravelli. And um, we are going to cover several topics today, gentlemen. But uh, first of all, I want to get uh, Dr. Caravelli's thoughts on the debates last night, and then uh, we'll have Don jump in there. So, uh, Doctor, kick us off here in hour number three. Happy to do so, James. And again, great to be with you in the audience. Uh, you know, a couple of sort of uh, billboard thoughts. Uh, number one, uh, they had a large audience, apparently. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, this is part of our electoral process. And being informed and tuning in and watching the five perform is, uh, is, is important. In, in terms of substance, you know, I think by, by most uh, assessments, uh, Mrs. Clinton did a... Uh, you know, you know, pretty good job. Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear now that um, the, uh, the, you know, the folks supporting O'Malley and Webb and uh, Lincoln Chafee are re- really in the minority, and those their, their candidacies probably will not go very far. Uh, but you know, Bernie Sanders looked a little more uh, irritated and uh, you know, n- not as. Uh, not as sharp in defending his record as he might have been. You know, Mrs. Clinton has an enormous amount of uh, experience in these things. Uh, what, what I did not like about Mrs. Clinton, and James, as you know, I'm, I'm not a big supporter anyway. <laughs> no. What, what I did not like was, um, you know, the, the way she tried to defend her almost endless willingness to flip-flop uh, by just saying that, well, people change positions. Well... You know, that, that's all well and good, but I think the, the real heart of the matter, and I think what should matter to, you know, to our, our, our fellow listeners, you know, is simply that, you know, when she changes positions, and she does it often, it, it, it's for convenience. It's not out of conviction, uh, whether it's on the Keystone Pipeline or, or, uh, or gun control. Uh, you know, her only consistency has been inconsistency. And... Uh, you know, I, I find that really disturbing. I, 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 I've been in Washington a long time and know that a lot of politicians do that. But, you know, when you're running for president, it would be nice to know what you're really getting uh, from the person who's, who's campaigning. And the one thing I'll say for Bernie Sanders, and I think most people would agree, is simply that, you know, what, what Sanders believes, whether you agree with him or not, he really, what he, he really does seem to believe you know, and I think that, you know, in itself is admirable. For Mrs. Clinton, I, I think it's pretty clear to me that, you know, she would say anything anywhere if she thought it was to her political advantage. You know, and that's, uh, that's rather disappointing. Don, uh, you, you are, uh, you, you, and, you and our good friend, 
uh, Dan Perkins talk each and every Tuesday on this on this program in hour number three about uh, Mrs. Clinton and talk about all the different things that are going on. What are what are your thoughts from the debates last night, and uh, do you uh, agree disagree with any of Dr. Caravelli's points? Well, hardly. I could hardly disagree with anything he said. It was absolutely art. Uh, I was asked today what I to sum up in one word, and I said boring. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you compare it to the, to the GOP, um, that was my number one. And my number two, um, uh, I'd like to go to his point about the, her flip-flopping. You know, a majority of Americans don't trust her and, uh, you know, don't believe what she says. And that is a big handicap to overcome. Uh, and I, I don't know how she does it. Um, I point out, uh, uh, the one thing the president needs, uh, whether Republican or Democrat, is the trust of the American people. And she, I don't believe she has it. As you, you know, Jimmy, I, uh, I've been saying all along, I, don't, I still do not believe she will be the Democratic candidate when everything is said and done. Um, and and I, 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 don't, I didn't see anything last night that changed my opinion on it. But, uh, but a majority of Americans don't believe what she says. And that is something, uh, I'm repeating myself, but I think it's a point well, re uh, and, and she did nothing last night to really re to reinstill her feeling uh, uh, to gain the trust of the American people. I, I was uh, watched a focus group that was watching the program last night, and the, uh, to a person in this group, uh, that that was the one thing that they came away from. Did your opinion of her as a trustworthy president change? And every one of them said no. And I, so the moderator asked, "How many trust her?" And uh, uh, only two people in the room said that they would trust her. And that, to me, was a fascinating uh, 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 incident that I think. Yeah. And I, I found that very, very interesting. And, and these were ordinary voters. Uh, and they were people likely to vote. They were divided uh, Democrat, Republican, and Independent. And uh, actually, uh, two of them who identified themselves as soci socialists, it's uh, Bernie. Um, so, uh, having having said said that, I think it's very important. He has a very uh, uh, long road to hold to somehow regain the trust of the American people. And I, I'd like to point out just one thing: uh, the newly elected president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, went on one of his first fireside uh, chats when he when the banking crisis was at its height. And he said to the American people, I give you my word, the banks are sound. And everybody believed him, and the banking uh, mess uh, crisis uh, uh, subsided. Can you imagine uh, Hillary Clinton going on TV, looking the American... Well, for one thing, if you notice, she does not look at the camera. She no. Does, she looks around and look into the camera's eye and say, trust me. In a crisis, uh, the answer is no, and that's a, 
a very difficult position for a president to have. We've got uh, Dr. Jack Caravelli with us today. We've also got Donald Mazzella uh, joining us live here on the radio. Um, doctor, you, one thing that didn't really get brought up uh, and, and hasn't been brought up the last couple of weeks because everybody's been just freaking obsessed with this email server thing, <laughs> which I, I, I understand, you know, what, what she did with the emails was a bad deal, but she she triggered some of the things that are going on in Syria and in uh, uh, some of these other some of these other countries when she was Secretary of State and no one ever wants to talk about those things. Um, one thing that I do want to get your thoughts on, Doctor Caravelli, is um, that the the situation that took place. I know that you knew Ambassador Stevens and um, Hillary was was basically uh, a big player in that whole thing. Uh, she was, James, and thank you for bringing that up because it, it, it really goes to her, both her confidence and her character. The thing that, uh, you know, I, I find most troubling about about that issue and uh, Clinton's role in it is there is no dispute that Ambassador Stevens, while he was, was serving in country, uh, cabled back months before the Benghazi attack and said, we have a real security problem here. He cabled back to the State Department as the ambassador and said, I need help. I need assistance. Uh, and the State Department, beginning with Mrs. Clinton, de- denied that assistance. And I think that is appalling. Uh, you know, having served in government for for many years, uh, I will tell you that the presumption of, of this government has always been that when one of its ambassadors sends that kind of, of message back into Washington and says, I've got a problem. The presumption is always the ambassador really knows what he's talking about. Now, you know, there may be differences of, of emphasis and the like, but for the State Department to clearly receive a cable from Stevens, a very good man, a, a, a great civil servant, and say, clearly says months in advance, I need assistance. I need more security out here, for that to be denied and ignored in Washington by the State Department, led by Mrs. Clinton, I think is a disgrace. Uh, As you can tell, I am personally still bitter about it, Uh, and I think it really goes to the point, you know, that Don was making, that she is not trustworthy, and, you know, his point also was critical, you do not regain trust overnight, even if there's reason to think that you should. And in her case, I don't. So, you know, I, I give her high marks for, for being clever, for being intelligent. But I, I will tell you, is she trustworthy to lead this nation? For me, the, the, the only answer available is no. Now, Don, uh, well, you, you did a lot of reporting on that. Uh, follow up on, on the point there that Dr. Uh, Garavelli made. Well, to me, what was worse... Uh, and I agree with you, uh, Doctor, but the, what to me was worse is her comment, what difference does it make now? That so resonated with me. Of course it makes a difference. It, it, it makes uh, the loss of one of us, well, uh, I can't quote it exactly, uh, diminishes us all. And uh, for her to say that, what's, what's the difference 
to me was so appalling that I lost all respect for her. Because of course it means. Teddy Roosevelt, they made a movie, The Wind and the Lion, about the uh, kidnapped American uh, in, uh, uh, I believe it was Morocco, um, or Tunisia, one of the two, uh, b back then. And he threatened to send in the U.S. Marines. We, we have an obligation. <coughs> Wherever our citizens are, they should be protected by the United States. And, and there was a time uh, when we were just talking before we went on the air, when you could walk in safety in places because they knew if anything happened to you, uh, some, somebody from America would be there trying to figure out who, yep. what, where, and how. Yep. And uh, it, 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 to me, it was just appalling. And, uh, uh, you know, you said you, you uh, admire her intelligence. But to make a statement like that is, is to, if a Republican had done it, the media would have been all over him or her about it. If Condoleezza Wright said, said something like that, and it went relatively unremarked when she said it. And uh, I'm hoping a congressman brings it up. Uh, when she goes before the committee. And that is, by the way, going to be a zoo. You're going to have the Democrats trying to protect her, the Republicans trying to do it. And, uh, But I think Benghazi is, was and still is a very important issue that should be explored in depth. I, for one, want to know, did we have a reaction team ready to go and were they told to stand down? I still haven't heard... Uh, and I've asked a lot of people in Washington, and I can't get an a straight answer from anybody as whether we had a reaction team ready to go and they were told to stand down. It, it, Benghazi is a blot on America. We're going to take a uh, quick time out here. When we come back, we're going to cover the Middle East, which is uh, Dr. Caravelli's wheelhouse. He's written two bestsellers that are available on Amazon. And uh, when we come back, we will talk to Dr. Jack Caravelli and Donald Mazzella here, hour number three of the big broadcast. It was in his DNA. His father owns a machine shop, and from the age of six, every Saturday morning he was in the shop cleaning the machines. Yes, I guess it was against some working age regulation, but Mario Jersic loved it. It gave him a work ethic that few people have today. Then, in 2008, while in college, he started a computer recycling company, and he never looked back. In five years, his revenue rose to several million dollars, and in 2015, it will double. His clients include small, medium, and Fortune 100 companies. Then this. Mario was accepted into the Impact 100, an organization that consists of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 30 in the United States. These wonderful risk-takers were celebrated at the White House and the United Nations. Do you have that work ethic? Are you instilling it in your children? It's never too early or too late. Hello, everybody. I'm Kip Marlowe, author of The Entrepreneur's Success and Sacrifice. If you're interested in starting a business or growing your current one, this is the book for you. 
Learn the secrets of success of entrepreneurs like Ryan Carroll, president of Lake City Plating, who quit college at 19 to save his family's struggling business. Order it at ecrsuccess.com or at Amazon and learn 22 stories of ordinary people who became wildly successful. It could change your life. Welcome back to the big broadcast here. 26 minutes after the hour. Thanks for joining us today. Dr. Jack Caravelli substituting for IQ Al Rizzoli today. We've also got Donald Bazella from SB Digest. And uh, Dr. Jack, you've written two books on the subject of the Middle East, uh, and, and you've done a lot of extensive research and, and been involved in the Middle East process. What do you think of the current Russia situation over there with uh, the United States? Because you also have some, some, uh, some knowledge of uh, Putin and, and Russia as well. James, I've... Uh... I've had the complete displeasure of meeting Mr. Putin uh, and on the Middle East, you know, uh, as we've discussed previously, um, you know, Russia's aggressiveness, at least in the short term, is really paying dividends for them. Uh, I, I think Putin has watched what we have not done in Crimea and Ukraine. Uh, he's taken the measure of, of Obama. He clearly has nothing but disdain for Obama absolutely no respect, uh, sees a vacuum, and he is, you know, frankly, in a very aggressive way, again, uh, you know, trying to fill that vacuum uh, for, you know, for the advancement of, of Russia's interest as he understands it. Now, he may be right or wrong, but the, you know, what Don and I were discussing at the break is simply that, you know, in this case, uh, as you look around the Middle East, you know, and, and everybody everybody else, those that used to be, uh, you know, strong U.S. allies, you know, the Saudis, the Israelis, uh, the Egyptians, all have had, with this administration, uh, you know, a great deal of, of problems. Now, I'm not saying it's all one-sided. It's not. But, you know, what we've seen in the Middle East is these two things, James. Number one uh, has been the uh, retreat of America. Uh, in the region, and the second thing is, as that has unfolded, yeah. we've seen the um, uh, we, we we've seen our allies and friends really come uh, become very skeptical of our staying power. Uh, that's going to have a long-term effect. It's like uh, the political trust we were discussing earlier. Once you lose trust and confidence in the international system, you know you also pay a huge price. And Barack Obama will leave, you know, office, you know, a year or so from now, and America will be poorer in its relations around the world because of it. And whoever comes in after him is going to have a huge mess to clean up. So, uh, you know, Russia has, uh, you know, made its play. It may or may not work out, but again, as everyone watches their behavior and compares it to ours, you know, they all believe that Russia is in the ascendancy, and perceptions are reality in that part of the world. And, um, you know, I, I am deeply saddened to see the alliances we've had for decades, which are really a, a, an amazing U.S. strength through much of the, you know, post-Cold War era or and post-World War II era, uh, that is all disintegrating in front of our eyes. and. 
we can thank the occupant in the White House for that. Don, your thoughts? Well, you know, I, uh, Sunday night I, I was uh, reading a little bit and I, um, about Harry Truman. And, you know, uh, uh, the thought came to me, what would Harry Truman do today if he were president? And uh, my feeling is, like he did with the, the Marshall Plan, like he did in, in Greece, like he did in other places, he would have acted. He would have projected American strength and acted. This president does not seem to want to project American strength. If anything, he wants to pull it back within its shores. You know, the, uh, the revisionist historians today talk about the isolationists of the 30s, and, and the 50s, but uh, I think the greatest isolationist we've ever had is Barack o of President Obama. I think he has uh, uh, tried to bring us back within our borders, and uh, it, it just does—it just can't happen anywhere anymore. Not in this world where uh, rogue nations have atomic weapons, and we're sitting. Uh, uh, the way you stop aggression is in the aggressor's uh, country, not in your country. And uh, you, the Ukraine is the best example of that in the Crimea. And uh, uh, the only hope we have is that the Russian economy grinds to a halt, uh, which it possibly could over the next two years, if the economists are right, um, and force him to, uh, President Putin, to uh, pull back because uh, he has the domestic uh, unrest at home. It, it, it's, it's a terrible world we're in right now, and we, the unfortunate part is it, it didn't have to happen, but it's happened under this president. Doctor. Yeah, uh, you know, again, I think Don said it to nail on the head. The, um, you know, I, I, I've wrestled James with a question for literally for years of what, what drives Obama, uh, you know, particularly in his foreign policy, which is my area of interest. And it, it, it first what foreign policy? What I, you know, what I at first thought was that, you know, this is a an incompetent man with incompetent advisors around him, and, and you could certainly make that case, but I am more and more convinced as this plays out simply that Obama does have a, a worldview that is one of retrenchment, of retreat, and almost apologizing for America. What, what Obama does not understand, in my judgment, James, has simply been that although we have certainly made mistakes since the end of World War II in our foreign policy, by and large, it is America's steadfastness, it is America's military strength, it is America's economic strength, it is America's diplomacy that has brought at least a modicum of stability to the global scene. Now, you know, whether we recognize that on any given day here in the States or not, I assure you, it's a very our prosperity, our security, as Don was pointing out, derives directly from parts of the world 
and their stability. And right now, obviously, in the Middle East, it is not stable. We've seen the migration problem, you know, coming into Europe. There's going to be more problems there. Uh, I was in Italy last week, and I was at the Italian Foreign Ministry uh, discussing these issues with senior Italian diplomats, and it was really interesting. One of the most senior turned to me, and he looked at me and he said, where is America? You know, the Italians don't have the wherewithal, you know, to do much militarily in the region. The Europeans are largely a basket case, the rest of them, but they, they, they really rue the fact that this administration under this president has been extremely weak, and now they're doubly concerned as they watch Russia sort of, you know, run in to fill that vacuum. So we are in considerable trouble in the Middle East. Uh, Russia may find itself in the months to come in its own mess. If that happens, so be it. But there is no doubt that those friends we used to have in the region are watching us, watching the Russians, and coming to conclusions about our staying power that are not favorable to our long-term security interests. We don't do this and the things we've done for decades. We do not do it, and the American public needs to understand this. We don't do it because we love the Middle East. We do it because it is in our long-term best interest to have the region secure and stable, and it is anything but today. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. What a, uh, I wish I could say it as articulately as you just did. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Uh, uh, it was interesting. I was at a dinner. I, I was asked to leave uh, last week uh, because um, uh, there was an administration official there, and I asked him the one question. I said, would you please outline what is the president's foreign policy? And this is a fairly high-ranking official in the White House. And he stumbled and mumbled, and being my usual reporter stuff, which was not present last night, I, I asked the follow-on question, and the follow-on question, and the follow-on question. And by the, by the end of the fourth question, it was pretty obvious that this official, and I believe the administration, simply does not have an overarching policy. It doesn't even have a policy for the... Uh, for the for the uh, for Asia, and uh, uh, it came up in the context of the uh, Trans-Pacific uh, Treaty that we uh, trade pact that we just uh, uh, signed. Um, and uh, I want want to bring up something that uh, very seldom talked about. If, if it were up to President Obama, he would turn over control of the internet to individual countries which is the, the internet is the one uh, force that is, dem, dem, uh, that is bringing democracy to many places of the world, including China. And uh, this is a president that wants to get, give control of it to these countries. I mean, talk about uh, ridiculous uh, uh, ideas and uh, that if this pre president had his way, would be done. Thank God they postponed it another year, giving up control. Uh, ICANN, the control of ICANN, which 
uh, governs the internet and uh, you know it just does not make sense what this pre president is doing on foreign policy and I'm finished Do doctor your 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 thoughts to uh, to Don's point there well the you know that discussion that he, he began on the internet is terribly important uh, I think he's absolutely right in the substance the the internet James you and I have discussed this uh, and, and I just actually came from Switzerland where I chaired a, uh, a, a conference on cyber. And the Internet, as you and I have discussed, is, is really intended to be open, to be, you know, a, a marvelous technology that allows everyone, whether it's an individual, a small company, a government, to communicate, you know, data and, and thoughts around the world, right? And, you know, we are all tied now to the, you know, to computers in the digital age. It's all great. But the, the Internet is not owned by governments. And Don made that point. And if Obama walks down the road, as he seems to be willing to do, to give governments control in their, in their countries over the Internet, again, the freedom of expression and speech, all is badly compromised or worse. And in May of this year, Russia and China signed a, uh, an agreement on the internet, on cyber. And each agreed, you'll love this, each agreed, number one, not to carry out cyber attacks on the other. We'll see how long that lasts. But the really interesting part of that agreement, we received no attention in the West, uh, is simply that both sides agreed that their governments, to Don's point, their governments should control the Internet in their countries. They have no particular right to do that. They're asserting a right. Uh, and again, both of those countries are afraid of the, of the oxygen of freedom uh, and that too many people would have it, uh, just as the Iranians are. So, again, this is another element of a, of a mindless foreign policy in Washington that will have significant consequences, you know, not just for us, but, but for, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions in China, in uh, certainly smaller numbers, but still significant numbers in Russia. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I, 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 the Internet... Is the equivalent of the Gutenberg Bible. Yep. Uh, in movable type, it, it uh, unleashed a, a whirlwind of new thought all over the world, and the internet has done the same thing. And even in China, despite its best efforts, people managed to, to get the real news and the real ideas, uh, despite uh, massive efforts by the Chinese government to control it. And uh, uh, it, it tells you the power of the Internet and how important it is that it remain in American hands. Absolutely. We've got Dr. Jack Caravelli and Donald Mazzella with us today, 41 minutes after the hour. Now, uh, final topic here, Don, with, with everything that we've talked about today with Dr. Caravelli. Um, 
I know you've got some questions for for the good doctor. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, tackle this 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 final segment here. Well, you you caught me with my mouth open. Uh, do not engage your mouth until your brain gets uh, into gear. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I am going to go out and get one of your books after this show. No doubt about it. Um, we seem to have the same thing. Um, what do you think will be the key issues of the um, uh, of, of the presidential campaign in terms of foreign policy? Well, you know, I think what we've been discussing it comes to mind. The you know we, we, we can pick the topics. Obviously, the Middle East, uh, or you know, as they argued last night, I think Jim Webb argued, uh, China. Obviously, Russia is a problem, but but I think there's a broader issue, Don, and that, that's the one we've been kind of uh, picking at with, with James here, uh, you know, on today's show. It, it's simply that, you know, which candidate, Republican or Democrat, can articulate a vision of America's role in the world in the 21st century? Because not only will, you know, our citizens be, be looking for that answer, but I, I can assure you um, that people around the world We'll be listening to that as well. So you know, we, we we've got to find, you know, you know, some way to, you know, return to the roots of what worked for us. And again, the the stability and prosperity of our nation, really in many significant ways, begins overseas. And if we can get some of that right, or at least better than what we've done. And if we can find a candidate that can make that case to the American public, well, then, you know, we've got somebody that we should listen to, you know, very closely. But, you know, it's not hard to read the headlines and, you know, again, think of the Middle East and China and Russia. But, again, we are not powerless. My, My heartburn with Obama has been he has played a strong hand weekly. We are not without resources and options. In contrast, the Russians, Putin, has played a weak hand strongly. His economy, as you noted, is a mess. Russia has significant problems. It is much smaller than us in economy and population uh, and the like. So if we can find a president that can take the measure of Putin as he took it of Obama, you know, we can begin to formulate policies, you know, to begin to restore the balance, level the playing field, uh, and, and show that, you know, we are committed to our friends in the region, like Israel, number one, uh, and that we will not be pushed from the global stage, that we've got a, a story to tell, values we believe in, and we're going to push them forward in the next administration. That's what I would love to hear from any any candidate. Richard Nixon, where are you? <laughs> now, there are some people that say he's he's getting his just rewards in the afterlife. Well, um, uh, I I for one I, I went with Nixon on the second trip to to China, wow. and uh, um, and you know uh, 
we, uh, he's often derided, but uh, he was the one man that could open China, and he did. And uh, I don't think he gets enough credit. I was asked uh, uh, at a forum, uh, what was the greatest story I covered? And I've covered a few, including the Kennedy assassination. And I've always felt that that was the greatest story I had ever covered, because I think it's one that uh, radically changed the world. And two men did it, uh, President Nixon and uh, Henry Kissinger. And uh, uh, by the way, they didn't have any women with them. And uh, uh, I actually heard a woman t say to me at the same party last week, which was a very interesting party uh, dinner, uh, that well, they didn't have any women in the party. And I thought about it and I said, you know, you're right. There were only two women on the plane and they were both reporters. Um, yeah. But but the real thing about it was that w we need somebody who truly understands two things, the economy and foreign policy. Everything else, and, and that's what I think is wrong with this uh, run-up to the primaries, is we're not talking about those issues. We're talking about Hillary's emails, uh, Bernie Sanders, how he wants to give away the store, uh, you know, the... Uh, and I, the one thing I, I, I feel is lacking in the Republican Party is really addressing these issues, uh, which I think are the two most, the two paramount issues facing us. But let me ask you, and it might not be your area of expertise, my, my belief is that the, the real powder keg, the one that's going to explode is Venezuela. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I am not an expert in, you know, the Latin America and South America, so I, I mean, it's all with a huge grain of salt on that one. The, the one thing that we, you know, can, can see just, you know, through the through the newspapers and the like is, is simply it's, it's, it's politically unstable. Uh, it, it, it's, it's an economy that is obviously driven by uh, its oil income and resources. Uh, you know, the political system seems to be um, that's, that's obviously anti-American, so you know it's you know it, it's troubling if it becomes does it become a problem? You know I I, I don't know honestly, and Don, maybe you've got better thoughts on that. Well, um, uh, I always defer to the experts, and I, uh, I I just know, I just know that sometime between now and the end of pri primary season. Venezuela is going to come into the news, but that, but I'll go to your area of expertise. What do you think the Israelis will do uh, uh, if the uh, Iranians? Uh, and I don't think there's a person in the world that doesn't expect them to violate the treaty and right. continue developing an atomic bomb. What do you think the Israelis will do? Well, this is a Don. I have spent, as James knows, huge parts of my career on this issue. I was Bill Clinton's uh, point man in the second Clinton administration on the Iran nuclear deal, so I I know more about this than I would sometimes care to remember. Uh, but to try to answer the question, and it's one I've discussed with the Israelis, uh, including Bibi Netanyahu, uh, when, when he was in his first go-round as Israeli prime minister, it, it is a terrible dilemma for them. Uh, it is a, a, a terrible problem. They have lost almost all faith in us. I, I think in the short term, 
we will see Iran behave uh, a little bit simply because they've got a lot of money on the line and, and they can afford to wait a little bit to get the sanctions money, which are in the tens of billions. Uh, so I think in the short term, we may have problems with the deal, but I, I don't know that there'll be any showstoppers. Now, having said that, uh, going forward, there's certainly a plausible scenario that you outlined by which the Iranians, you know, begin to cheat overtly or not, who knows. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, the Israelis would, number one, come to us. Uh, there'll be a new administration, almost certainly. Uh, you know, I don't think this will play out in a year. So we'll have a new administration. I think they would come to us first. But I think at the end of the day, uh, they will do what they feel they have to do. I will give you two examples briefly. Uh, the first is in 1981, when the Israelis, without telling the Americans, uh, attacked uh, a nuclear reactor in Iraq uh, called the Osiric reactor. And they, they took it out with, uh, actually very effectively with uh, with attack aircraft that they got from us. Uh, so they are prepared to use it. But what, what's interesting about that is what emerged from that, aside from a, a great Israeli victory, which I fully applaud, was something called the Begin Doctrine. Menachem Begin, Don, as you will recall, was the prime minister at the time. And the Begin Doctrine, that again, no one in the West pays attention to, what the Israelis really do. The Begin Doctrine is very simple. It says that Israel will never allow or accept a rival nuclear weapon state in the region. Now, fast forward that to 1999. I was serving in the Clinton White House and the Israelis came to the White House. Uh, they'd already been very concerned uh, about Iran's program. Uh, for some years, I had been involved in negotiations with the Russians on this. We did not make progress. So the Israelis in 1999 came to the White House and said they were prepared to go to war uh, because of their concerns about Iran. Again, it's, it was under Netanyahu, 1999, 16 years ago. The, the reaction from President Clinton was, after he clutched his chest, was say, hell no, we will not support that. Now, again, fast forward 16 years to the present, one of history's ironies is Netanyahu is again prime minister. Of all the prime ministers I've known in Israel, he is probably the most hard over on this question of Iran. And, you know, I, I've given you a very long answer, but my short answer is this. I feel if the Israelis assess the situation as if Iran was closing in on a nuclear weapons capability, whether we liked it or not, whether we agreed or not, Iran would resort at, you know, and, and again, they would not do this with great enthusiasm, but they would resort, uh, I, I think my view would be they would resort to the use of force uh, against Iran. Uh, with, with all the consequences that would come of it, they begging those about, or Yahoo knows about the, the Begin Doctrine. Netanyahu feels he's been sold out by Obama. 
uh, and I think at the end of the day, and it is a terribly difficult military operation. Look, I am not pretending it's simple or, or that you know Israel can do this in the blink of an eye. Iran, as you know, is a large, well-defended country. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great distance from Israel, and you know the, the, the operational side of a military attack, no matter how it's carried out, is extremely difficult and complicated. The Israeli military will tell you that more than anyone. But having said that, I believe at the end of the day, if the Israelis truly believe beyond politics, Iran was getting close to acquiring a nuclear weapons capability, they would feel compelled to go to war. Well, uh, I, I agree with you for my, uh, certainly limited compared to yourself, uh, dealings with the Israelis. Uh, I've, um, I've, I was in the front lines in the Sixth Day War. Um, uh, with, but I, I totally agree with you, and uh, uh, that's my fear. Um, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they uh, have uh, developed a aerial refueling capability to carry out such an attack. And that, to me, I thought was a very interesting uh, capability that you wonder what a country like that, uh, who's within an hour of every other Middle Eastern uh, capital, but an hour's flying time, but Iran, would need such an uh, aircraft. Um, yeah, that's right. I, I agree with you. Israelis were to try and attack against Iran through the air, they would absolutely need a refueling capability, uh, and they have it. Yes, yes, it's uh, um, it, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, if President Obama were in office, uh, we know what the reaction would be. Uh, um, I, I remember um, I, I heard uh, uh, Mr. Kissinger say when uh, uh, I forget which of the wars. Uh, oh, uh, when Israel was uh, in dire danger, uh, President Nixon said, "Give them anything they want." Uh, whether a president today could could and would do such a, a thing as well. Uh, let me, God, uh, let me let me make a point here. I think it, it it rounds out this circle discussion. When I was researching one of my books, that you know, I hope some of the readers will, some of the listeners will will, will take a look at. When I was researching it, the Israeli government, through decades, going back to the 1950s with Eisenhower, from time to time would come to the Americans and say, we would welcome an American commitment like what America makes to NATO in Article 5, which simply means, as, as listeners will know, that an attack on any NATO country will be responded to with a full capabilities of the United States, which is why NATO is a, you know, still a credible alliance. Now, the Israelis asked for the same kind of Article 5 assurance going back to the Eisenhower days, and, and Democratic and Republican uh, administrations were not willing to do that. Now, my view is, whatever the history says, fine, but if Barack Obama really cared about Israel and its survival, he could take that language from Article 5 and tell the Israelis and the world, if you attack Israel, 
we will be all over you with every resource we have. He has not done that, and I think that is just another example of, of an administration that, frankly, doesn't give a damn about the Israelis. Uh, boy, I wish I had said that some, uh, last week at this dinner. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to go together next time. Now I know what to say at the next, uh, if they ever invite me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, as as we wrap up here, Don, uh, g- give give me your final thoughts on everything, and then we'll uh, we'll let Doctor Caravelli give his final thoughts. Well, my my final thought is I learned uh, learned a lot today, and I thank Doctor Caravelli. Uh, 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 we live in dangerous times. And I don't think they're going to get any easier for the next, uh, until January, January 20th, uh, 2017. I think uh, we have a president uh, uh, who's, as Dr. Caravelli said, uh, who, who is playing a, a, a strong hand weekly, and he's putting us more and more in danger. And who knows uh, of all these refugees that we let in, uh, the small amount, 36,000, whatever, who am, uh, uh, you know that there are going to be people in there that are not here because they love America. And that, to me, is uh, uh, one of the worst consequences of all of this. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a bad time. And that's all I can say, because uh, uh, my, uh, my compatriot here is doing a much better job. <laughs> not Dr. Caravelli. James, first, first, you know, to you and and Don, many thanks. It's uh, a a great pleasure to be with both of you today. The look, we we know that here at home, we we have a lot of unsolved problems. But again, if if your listeners, James, take nothing else from this, I I hope they will believe and share my view that. Our stability, prosperity at home begins with a world that is more stable than what we have today in the Middle East. And, you know, I I hope that those listening today will stay involved in our electoral process. Uh, Don's probably right. Last night was boring, but it's still important to hear what people say, how they phrase it. But, But work through this. You know, we are not... An impoverished nation, we are not a weak nation, but we've had a weak president. We need to get past that, find a candidate, Republican or Democrat, that shares that view, and if we find that person, we will be fine. But there is a direct link between what we do, what we say here today, and how the world looks at us. And what I've what I've said should not be interpreted as advocating huge military forces or anything like that in the Middle East. There are a lot of things we can do short of putting in, you know, tens of thousands of great American men and women. We've got cards to play, and it it enrages me that this president has, instead of playing some of those cards, he's folded his hands, James, and done, and that's that's really the saddest part of all. Uh, Can I just add one comment? Yes, jump in there. the embargo, all of the things we did to bring the Iranians to the table 
were all started before uh, President Obama came in, and he, uh, he had the benefit of them, and he didn't use them as well as he could have. Uh, you know, the, the, the financial side, the oil embargo, all of those things are some of the examples that, that the good doctor just mentioned that I think is just so terribly important to be hammered home to the American public. Thank you for that. Well, Don, b- before we let you go, how, how do we how do we connect with you online, my friend? Well, uh, smallbusinessdigestmag.com, has, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, hashtag 2SBDigest, and my book, and you can learn about my book, which is uh, doing uh, surprisingly, my publisher is surprisingly happy, uh, an American family sampler. Uh, it's the first of a trilogy on two American families, one white, one black, uh, through, through the, uh, the American centuries. And Dr. Caravelli, we can get the books on Amazon. Uh, r- run down the titles for us. Yeah, uh, James, thank you for that. Uh, on Amazon, one is the first one is Nuclear Insecurity, which was endorsed wonderfully by, uh, by Margaret Thatcher. Uh, the second is uh, published a couple of years ago called Beyond send in oil, the nuclear Middle East, um, and I've had, you know, uh, you know, great, great fun trying to tell these stories, and I hope people will give them a look. With Christmas just around the corner, they make great stocking stuffers, uh, James, and, you know, I, I couldn't, and, you know, uh, you know, recommend them more highly. Well, 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 thank you, guys. No, for you. Uh, <laughs> Well, gentlemen, we will uh, we will talk to you soon. Dr. Caravelli, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. And Don, I will talk to you next Tuesday with our good friend Dan Perkins. Thank you, gentlemen. All the best, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We're going to take a time out and come back with more. In a world where reading is dying out, a new champion emerges. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.